Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Market Moves podcast channel for another episode of Around the Horn, UBS Asset Management's monthly fixed income roundtable. We are glad to be joined by top portfolio managers and business heads from Asset Management's Muni, Taxable, Fixed Income, and Liquidity teams. We will hear candidly from them on their views on markets and what they believe you should be focused on within the fixed income space. I am joined once again by Anthony Liotti, head of the Fixed Income SMA Advisory Group. Anthony will also serve as moderator for today's roundtable. So with that, Anthony, welcome back. I'll pass it over to you. Great, Dan. Thank you, and a happy new year, and um, and uh, welcome, like Dan said, first installment for another year, 2024. Um, I hope you all had a, a pleasant holiday season, and uh, clearly wish you all the best for, for 2024. So we'll get right into it. I figured for, for my macro introduction to the call, I'd provide everyone with a fairly high-level recap of of 2023 from a rates perspective and then finish with some, some key items that we should be focused on, uh, as we, as we move through 24. And, and I've asked all the participating PMs to, to do uh, a bit of the same, right? When, when I look back on, on 2023, uh, I would say that from a performance standpoint, more than three quarters of the year, almost seven eighths of the year, if you will, was marked by quite a bit of uh, uh, mixed emotions, right? Volatility, which we spoke about so many times throughout, not just 23, but 22 um, calls, was consistently present and didn't really wane until the back end of, of, 2000, uh, of 23, right, Q4. Going into 2023, many had really suggested that this was going to be the year of the bond, right? As historical data suggested, as bonds in past cycles, had typically bounced and done very well following a year of negative performance in 2022. Clearly, we don't have to remind ourselves of that was, was just that, right? <clears throat> but, but frankly, we weren't able to truly witness what a strong year it was in bonds, generally speaking, right? Some asset classes better than others until the very final months of the year, right? From a timeline standpoint, I'll walk you through this a little bit. We saw rates aggressively through, uh, move aggressively through, through the early spring where performance data had us kind of believing, right? That this was going to be the year of the bond where some indices were up, you know, mid single digits. Tenure treasuries around, let's call it around that April period had, had dipped as low as 3.3% on tenure treasuries and tenure mean rates were as low as two and a quarter, right? So moving through then late spring into late summer, Markets kind of did a little bit of an ebb and flow, right? Ten-year treasuries moved from three and a half to roughly right around four and a quarter percent. Then September hit, right? And we saw one of the most pronounced and clearly unexpected sell-offs in bonds in quite some time. And, and clearly this was a sell-off that would see yields um, that we had not seen since the great financial crisis. It was swift. It was sharp. And clearly... Uh, it spooked both professional and non-professors like really thinking that 2023 was going to end up much like 2022, which was yearly, which was clearly a year of negative performance for investment grade domestic credit. However, we got to October, late October, fed to the rescue, right? Jokingly, I'll say you put a mic in front of them and boy, they can move the markets. They came out with a bit more of a donish tone, a dovish tone, excuse me, in that late October time period, and it sent markets moving in the complete opposite direction, literally, to the last trading day of 2023. And we witnessed one of the greatest month-to-month rallies in modern investment history. So that by the end of 2023, uh, the Fed fund futures were fully pricing in the first rate cut 
2024, March, I should say, excuse me, 2024. And for the full year, the projections were that we would see 150 basis points of cuts in 2024. My opinion, I think perhaps some of those on this call today you'll hear from might be a little bit aggressive. Um, from a performance standpoint, what did that do for year end? Uh, the main muni index um, experienced a very good year, up more than 6%. Um, corporate investment grade was up, you know, that's, uh, domestic investment grade was up around 5%. High yield, spectacular year, up 13. Again, emerging market debt, another solid year of right around, uh, 9%. Looking into 24, to so give you a little bit of an outlook here, um, I'd say as we turn the calendar to 2024, markets seem to have realized that, you know, yeah, maybe we took things a little bit too far with this rally, got a little carried away. And I say that we entered a little bit of, of overbought ter- uh, uh, territory. Uh, we saw the 10-year Treasury dip well below 4% to right around 379, 380. Um, but if you think about that, right, we had seen 10-year Treasuries behind or just touch 5% in October of 2023, and then you had that rally all the way down to 380. So 120 basis point move, and essentially let's call it 40, 40 trading days which is absolutely remarkable. Uh, last Wednesday, we got the Fed uh, minutes were released. Um, they did seem, I'd say, to push back against the bond market rally in November and December, a little bit in my opinion. This could continue perhaps into further into January. If we do see economic data um, for December, you know, meet or, or, or beat expectations. Uh, tomorrow we'll see uh, two key economic indicators. We've got CPI and, and PPI on Friday. Um, clearly, they will assist in determining uh, the next potential move by both the Fed um, and, and the market. So um, what we're going to deal with here for the next few months is this, right? Does the data, economic data, support the Fed cutting in March? That's it, period. That's one of the most important things. As of now, um, the market is still pricing in a greater probability of 60%, 60% probability of that happening. Um, I would say that some folks out there suggest that the timing of those first cuts should matter perhaps a lot more than the total number of cuts of 2024, and the Fed has clearly signaled that um, and repeated that it's a objective for Fed funds target by year end is, is 2.5%. So we shall see. Um, let me let me pause here, um, and and like we always will do on these calls, we'll turn it over to our PMs, provide their views on the market, how we're positioning our portfolios, and, and again, give a little bit of insight to what they might be thinking about uh, in 2024. So let's start like we've always done in the past on the front end of the curve with Mr. Dave Walzak. Dave, lead us in yeah, great. the call, please. Thank you. Thanks, Anthony. Um, so, yeah, so I think you did a pretty good job uh, recapping, you know, kind of obviously the shifting expectations around the Fed. And, you know, for our part of the curve, obviously, uh, that matters uh, quite meaningfully. Um, and so we were pretty focused on that um, toward the end of last year. Um, you know, just to add a little bit more. Uh, data around that, you know, it's pretty interesting, you know, the day before the December FOMC, uh, there's 109 bits worth of cuts priced in uh, for this year. And then, of course, as you kind of alluded to, Anthony, uh, we ended the year with about 158 basis points worth of cuts priced in. So just in the matter of, you know, call it about two weeks, you know, we saw another 50 basis points of cuts uh, being added in by the market. Um, you know, today it's sitting at around 140 uh, basis points. So we definitely have seen um, some of that premium uh, being worn away uh, by the market as I think you know, the market kind of took a step back and uh, assessed things uh, a little clearer. Um, but still, as you pointed out, um, we're still seeing a greater than 50% uh, probability uh, being priced in for March. Um, so we, you know, along with the rest of the market, will be, you know, paying close attention to the incoming data 
Um, you know, we still do think that Fed funds futures is being a little aggressive here. Um, you know, we're probably closer to the Fed's median dot of 75 basis points uh, worth of cuts for, for this year. Um, and not really thinking that those cuts uh, are going to start until we, we get, um, you know, deeper into uh, the year here. Um, but just another, you know, kind of recap in terms of, you know, our market from, from last year. Um, you know, I kind of touched on this on the call uh, last time, I believe. But, you know, it was another strong year in terms of inflows into money market funds. You know, we ended up the year just over a trillion of net new money uh, into the space, taking total AUM just under $6 trillion uh, for money funds here in, in the U.S., so um, which isn't too surprising, right? I mean, yields on money funds continue to remain attractive, so um, I think especially for those investors uh, that wanted to keep a little bit cash, you know, certainly earlier last year uh, with what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and some of the regional banks, uh, that was a strong inflow of cash into uh, the space, but uh, certainly over the course of the year, uh, given where yields were, uh, we did see a lot of cash continue to remain in, in money market funds, so We'll be paying close attention to that. You know, I know there's been some articles written in terms of, you know, some of that moving out uh, of money market funds, you know, looking for better yields elsewhere, especially as the Fed uh, starts to cut rates here. Um, you know, we certainly could see that, but, um, you know, we also reinforce the notion that, you know, even when rates were zero, um, you know, kind of coming off of, of COVID, there's still, you know, roughly about four and a half trillion uh, parked in money market funds. So there still is, you know, kind of that natural demand for, for cash, if you will. Um, you know, looking at some of our other strategies in our liquidity space, um, you know, our short duration treasury strategy, uh, we still there from a strategy standpoint, continue to lean a little bit long relative to the benchmark. Uh, we did trim that long position relative to last month, just as we've seen, obviously, the big rally uh, in front end rates here. Um, but still think it makes sense to lean a little bit long there. Uh, the current gross yield in that strategy is a 479 uh, with a duration of around 0.97. And then in our ultra-short duration treasury ladder, um, that has a duration right around a half a year uh, with currently a gross yield of about a 511. And with that, I'll turn it over to Dave Rothfire to talk about some of our other uh, TFI liquidity strategies. Yeah, thanks so much, Dave. Um, as Anthony mentioned, 2023 was a volatile year for us. Um, but in the end, uh, with the year-end rally in both rates and credit, uh, that produced some of the best front-end total returns since 2020. Market worked through a banking crisis, concerns about a recession, and despite all the volatility, corporate spreads ended the year tighter than where we started in 2023. As we head into 2024, we generally see a soft landing with inflation continuing to trend downward, which is supportive of corporate credit. Historically, January is a big month for corporate new issuance. The market has been digesting this additional supply with new issues performing well with most deals tighter on the break. So for the near term, in credit, we continue to favor a fairly neutral uh, posture uh, with a focus on the following. Uh, AAA and AA prime ABS, which thus far has been outperforming the credit space year to date. Financials, which have been outperforming industrials since mid-July. We think that additional new supply will continue to be well-received and the sector will offer a relative value opportunity, especially with any widening due to this month's uh, new issuance. Given valuations of BBBs versus As. Triple Bs have become less attractive. Looking at the ICE B of A U.S. corporate indice, uh, spread pickup of Triple Bs versus A to Triple As is near a five-year low at about 45 basis points. On a relative value basis, this makes us favor more of an up-and-quality portfolio with a focus on A or, a or better on the credit side. At this point on duration, while the Fed's median dot plot currently suggests a 75 basis point e- ease, 
Uh, as Dave Waldeck uh, was discussing, you know, the market is currently pricing in almost double that at about 140, which is, in our view, a bit aggressive. So similar to our short-duration treasury strategy, we are neutral to slightly long with an overweight of about 0.05 versus bench. So with that, I'll pass it on to David Dolo. Well, thanks, David. You know, on the investment grade side, it's, you know, we started 2024 really how really most of 2023 went, which is really inflates into the asset classes as investors were attracted by the all in yield. I mean, last year in 2023, we had over 180 billion of, of inflows into the space. And that really drove investors, you know, throughout triple B's, single A's, all throughout the investment grade curve because the attractive all in yield at some, at some point of the year, uh, we're over 6%. We're currently in the, in the low five. And as we start 2024, we started really with a strong inflow of over $5 billion. And I would say that, you know, credit in general continues to be supported not only by the inflows and the track of all in yields, but a Fed that has pivoted and said they're going to cut rates, you know, three times in 2024. And a base case scenario, as David, Wals- David Walthweiler mentioned, of a soft landing scenario as a base case for economic growth in 2024, which is historically pretty attractive for investment-grade credit if we get that type of environment as the Fed starts to cut rates without demand destruction, with unemployment rising and growth slowing, you know, to, you know, zero or to a a slight mild recession. So, you know, with that being said, uh, we continue to have um, overweights in the utility sector, the energy sector, the cable media sector. Uh, and we were overweight financials for most of 23, but we went closer to neutral uh, to start the year because we expect a lot of new issues supply in the financial sector when they release earnings starting this Friday. And we're looking forward to taking advantage of those opportunities uh, through the new issue calendar. But in general, I think credit still remains on a solid footing from not only technical, the, the macro drivers, and as well as fundamental drivers. Corporate America really, throughout 23, positioned for economic slowdown and growth, um, slowing down pretty materially uh, throughout the year, and it, it never really happened. But what they did was they really hoarded a lot of cash. So we saw M&A activity really slow down. We saw CapEx uh, slow down. We saw the the possibility of, of stock buybacks uh, reduced. And really it was a, a conservative balance sheet management by corporate America in most sectors of the U.S. economy to prepare for economic slowing in the economy, which really we haven't seen uh, at this point in any material way. So what we've been doing in 24, because I would say that we started the year, you know, spreads, as David Walkwell mentioned, have tightened. And we're, we're still attractive, but we're not nearly as attractive as we've been in the past from an excess return spread perspective uh, basis on corporate spreads. But we still believe that uh, there's opportunities to move up in quality, uh, to be a little more conservative from that standpoint and stay invested, as well as extending duration for our active intermediate strategy. So that's... The active intermediate strategy is running around, we're targeting around four and a quarter years for the active intermediate accounts. And we've been pushing up accounts uh, to be a leaning long versus the benchmark to take advantage of falling interest rates in, in 2024. But I, I would say in general, the corporate market remains in the sweet spot until we see one, either inflation will you know, start to get sticky uh, and put and 3% and, and that goes, you know, through that level. And, and the Fed starts to reevaluate, you know, potential cuts and the market says, okay, you know, cuts are going to have to pull back. Or two, we see economic growth slow faster or more than is anticipated in, in 2024, which, 
between those two scenarios, if I had to pick one or the other, I, my most, my probably my biggest concern is inflation uh, doesn't fall as fast as everybody thinks. So, um, but we'll see. We get inflation data in the next couple of days uh, to start the year. But in general, uh, from a curve positioning, we still favor the belly of the curve. We pushed out our positioning to take advantage of these attractive volume yields to lock them in for a longer period of time as rates continue to fall. But I, I would say in general, uh, we still have a small position in high yield. When we can go up to 10%, we're sitting around 2 3% in high yield. We've had a lot of, in 2023, a lot of active opportunities and crossover positions. Moving, you know, credits are going to be upgraded to investment grade. But I would say those opportunities have slowed uh, in the last quarter or so because we just haven't seen as many upgrade candidates as we've seen uh, in the previous, you know, six to nine months. So that's how we're positioned going into 24. A little more cautiousness, a little more up in quality, uh, but definitely extending duration for our active intermediate strategies. And with that, I'll pass it over to Anders Nelson to talk about the high-yield strategies. Thanks, David. Uh, I'm going to start off with uh, some stats of what has been a remarkable year for the high-yield market. In 2023, high-yield bonds returned 13.5% on average, marking the best year since 2019. Spreads tightened by 140 basis points, and all-in yields dropped from 9 to 7.5%. The lowest quality part of our market surpassed many investors' expectations, returning 20%. Uh, this was due to positioning as well as default risk being mispriced coming into the year, while the economy and markets remained resilient. And with uh, rate cuts just on the horizon, refinancing becomes a much more viable option, which is often key for triple C issuers, um, which also eases uh, concerns. In terms of sectors, the best returns were had in leisure, entertainment, and retail, while broadcasting, cable, and telecom issuers faced a more difficult time having to deal with growth challenges and highly levered balance sheets. So 2023 was a good year for credit, and uh, we've been constructive on the space, especially as yields held above 8.5%, which is a level that you don't often see historically. But with the everything rally over the last two months, we are facing a challenging uh, backdrop to uh, the start of the year, and it's valid to ask if markets have become too optimistic. So far in the first two weeks of the year, uh, we're not seeing a lot of trading activity away from ETFs um, selling due to outflows. Real money accounts are sitting on their hands as there is uh, no need to raise cash, and there's no rush to put money to work Give um, so uh, investors are giving themselves some time to see where things uh, shake out. Um, liquidity is back, and with sentiment moderating, prices have improved. Uh, yields are back to around 8%, and credit spreads are around 350 basis points. Um, this is where the asset class was trading right um, after the Fed meeting in December, but before the grind tighter in the second half of the month on low volume. Uh, we think that high yield looks okay here with yields around 8%, and we expect spreads to trade in a range um, here, uh, but investors should expect some volatility uh, or volatility to continue with uh, new data coming in and uh, the Fed also changing expectations. Technicals will uh, continue to be an important piece of the puzzle as well. Uh, in the short term, it's a question of how much supply we see in the coming months. Uh, compared to IG, we've had a very slow start to the year in primary markets, um, which uh, is a positive for existing bonds. Now, eventually, we do expect supply to pick up as issuers have to deal with uh, bonds coming due, and uh, that brings me to the topic of maturity walls. Uh, there's about $25 billion uh, of high-yield debt coming due this year and another $90 billion next year. This is more than usual, but we aren't uh, too concerned 
as this is to be expected in higher yield environments where there is less incentive to refinance low coupons. The debt stack is of high quality. Uh, Two-thirds of bonds maturing this year are double B rated. And uh, we've seen, uh, the primary, as, as we've seen in the primary market last year, investors are willing to lend and new issues are trading well. Uh, this view is also shared by our credit research team uh, that has just published uh, their annual bottom-up default study. They see default rates sticking around 3.4% this year, which is uh, similar to last year's figure. And looking at the credits, uh, the most affected areas are healthcare and telecom in names that are well known uh, to be at risk by the market. Um, lastly, I want to give a quick update on the stats of our SMA accounts. For short-duration high yields, uh, we're looking at yields of around 6.5% for a one-and-a-half-year duration and a double B-minus rating. The crossover accounts, which hold both IG and high-yield uh, credits, yield about 5.75% with a duration of 2.7 years and a triple B-minus rating. Uh, I'll now hand it over to David Michael to speak on emerging markets. Thank you, Anders. Um, you know, over, over the year of 2023, all of fixed income had a pretty strong year, and it was really supported by the last few months of the year. Um, you know, and if we look at breaking down the last month of the year, specifically within emerging markets, we saw spreads net widened. Um, we were wider by 15 basis points, um, 16 basis points tighter in December, and 28 basis points tighter or wider since we started the year. Um, over this period, uh, U.S. Treasury rallied by 21 basis points, leaving us with positive all-in total returns for emerging markets. Yep. Last year, uh, we talked about how EM supply would be front-loaded to start uh, 2024, and this has been the primary driver behind the spread widening we've seen year-to-date. Um, so far, we've seen over $35 billion in net new supply in emerging markets, and half of that came from two jumbo deals, you know, seven and a half billion in supply coming out of Mexico and twelve and a half billion or twelve billion, excuse me, out of Saudi Arabia. Headline supply number is on pace to match the supply number we saw in January of 2022, around sixty five billion dollars. Uh, further for the month of January, um, we expect emerging market rollover, you know, maturities, amortizations and coupon payments to exceed over sixty billion dollars. This highlights while some of the deals might be large, the net supply number this year or in January remains very manageable. And especially with these jumbo deals out of the way, we expect the M spreads to recover and compress back to levels we saw to start the year. Added to this uh, is the fact that EM cash positions remain high, higher than normal, and the fact that net negative supply we expect net negative supply for 2024 to be around 80 to 100 billion U.S. dollars. Since the Fed pivot in December, um, we've incrementally seen active and crossover investors um, come into emerging markets and add emerging market credit risk. And as we look ahead for the rest of 2024, um, it's a year where double-digit returns are definitely possible, given the attractive all-in starting yields and a supportive interest rate environment. Our view on 2024 is not without risk. There are elections across the world, India, Indonesia, Mexico, and the U.S. While we don't expect a lot of tail risk from emerging market elections, we could see volatility pick up uh, around U.S. elections. And coming off a year of high volatility 
And looking at 2024, another year where we could see more volatility, this underpins the importance of active management within your fixed income and emerging market portfolios. Now let me hand it off to our municipal bond team. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, for your time this afternoon. So when I think back on 2023, I start with where we were in 2022. At the end of 2022, the muni market had experienced a negative return of 8.53% for the year. And the comment typically made throughout the asset class was that for munis to experience two years of negative returns in a row would be highly unusual and extraordinary. So the expectation was set for at least positive returns um, for the muni market for 2023. However, as been mentioned by many of my taxable brethren, um, it was a difficult year. It was a very, very volatile year. We came out of the shoot with positive returns for the year, but then it seemed as um, the summer months took hold and we moved along, um, returns just grinded negative and negative and more negative until we got to the point where we're on October 25th, we had a negative return of 2.30% um, for the year. Lo and behold, uh, November and December come along and yield do that underperformance and uh, the increasing yield across the spectrum, maturity spectrum, looked very, very attractive to investors, some of the highest yields that had been seen in the last 20 years. And then on an after-tax basis, it becomes even more attractive given um, where taxable yields were at that stage of the game. But November came along, that negative 2.30% uh, return was all of a sudden flipped to a positive return, historic positive return for the month of November of 6.35%, just turning around the year uh, in the period of, uh, of the month of November. And that, and I casually describe it as FOMO, fear of missing out on higher yield, led to a December where investors really just wanted to get into the market and get invested, giving us another month of positive returns of 2.32% uh, positive for the month of December. So in a period of 36 days, I, I was talking with this uh, with the associate Martin Ryan Nugent, and I'm sure you're all familiar with. Within a period of 36 days, you could have captured all of that positive return. And to me, it speaks to you really have to be involved in this market. And timing the market for that 36-day period would have been incredibly difficult for any professional investor to get done or any individual investor to get done. But I think it speaks volumes to you have to participate in the market to capture that upside and manage your way actively through the volatility. Um, throughout most of the year, we saw um, tax exempt and taxable issuance down for the year, but tax, tax exempt issuance in and of itself up slightly for the year. Demand seemed very, very high throughout, and there were periods where we just had um, more demand for bonds and it really became acute at the end of the year than we had bonds floating in the market. And then again, that assisted the performance of the market. Given the extraordinary performance that we had at year-end, the positive return for the year that Muni's experienced, we're seeing valuations at this stage of the game to be fairly rich across the curve. And now we're stuck in this struggle between fairly rich valuations relative to um, taxables, and yet yields still remain attractively high. Yes, there are 100, 120 basis points lower, more in the belly of the curve, it's about 120 basis points lower in yield. Um, but even still, yields remain attractive um, at this stage of the game. Um, but do I recommend at this stage also just, you know, 
diving into the market? No. I think 2024 is going to hold similar periods of volatility. Um, on the backdrop, I think that um, the relative um, uh, procession to the turning point in uh, Fed policy will allow munis to do very well. So I recommend buying on the drop um, in order, legging yourself in. I wouldn't recommend throwing all, all your assets at the muni market on any one given drop, but I certainly recommend uh, legging in. In terms of what we're doing, um, it's really been fairly simple for much of last year, and it remains the same thus far this year. Our duration remains, uh, and our intermediate strategy between five and five and a quarter, it hasn't really moved that much, but what has moved, where we are investing on the curve. We have gone out a couple of years because of the inverted muni curve, and you can pick up a fairly good amount of yield going out to two years. We're still avoiding that three to eight year area, and we're barbelling out longer on the curve where valuations look a little bit cheaper. So really not moving the duration, but certainly looking at the curve and balancing um, where we are positioned along the curve. One of the um, assets that really have helped us throughout the year in, in terms of maintaining our duration and yet picking up yields has been variable rate demand notes. Um, those yields have exceeded 4% at various stages of the game. Our expectation is that's not sustainable um, for the remainder of this year, especially given what the Fed may or may not be up to at various stages of the game. So I'd expect us to move and decrease our variable rate demand note exposure in favor of bonds and notes a little bit longer outside of the curve. But I do think the muni market is set up for a fairly good year. Um, no dark clouds right now, but one. And again, it was mentioned earlier, elections. We have an election coming up in the United States. Um, certainly elections lead to different thoughts about tax policy and where we head towards tax policy as we go forward, and certainly the muni market whenever we run into an election year towards the end of the year, the final quarters of the year, um, can have some pretty extreme volatility. So I'd be prepared for that as 2024 ensues. Um, that's it for me. I'll turn it back to you, Anthony. Thank you. Ah, the election. Can't wait for can't wait for that, uh, that Chuck. A couple of days away from what, Super Tuesday here in March, right? Um, all right, so I'll just you know, a couple of key themes, right? These are these are fairly obvious out here, but key themes that that will, will clearly be quite instrumental throughout uh, 2024. And then, of course, as we know, every year um, there'll be more that, that go along the way. Um, first and foremost, uh, it's the Fed, all right? Uh, will be at the forefront of everything. Uh, will we be talking about incorporating that R word, the recession, into more of our, I'd say, our daily vernacular? As we move through the year, um, our thoughts are probably not. We look at our rates of uh, probability of a, of a recession as, as quite low. Um, but, but you know, will we be getting to, to talk about that? We need to really think about the deficit um, of, of this uh, of the of the Treasury. Uh, there was a, a theme much in 2023 that was the, the term premium, meaning you know, listen, more deficit, more money, more Treasuries being issued. Um, is there more risk uh, that I should be compensated for 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 treasuries? Uh, clearly, the the unfortunate war that battles on on, on multiple fronts uh, will there be contagion, you know, and continue there. Clearly, uh, from an inflationary standpoint, we're seeing the economy um, tackle some issues initially as related to disruptions with shipping. That that may hey maybe this this adds to or could reignite inflation as as something that uh, Dave Vignolo alluded earlier, and then, of course, we've got uh, the shape of the curve. Will we reinvert? We've been uninverted for quite some time. 
um, if and when the Fed does begin to cut, will this curve uninvert and we do see a positive slope? And then lastly, the election, the wonderful election. So with that, um, those are some of the key themes, but I'll close it out there. Thank you very much for tuning in. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy. 